iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I am super excited because some of my favorite guests are back. No, not Rory K. Smith, obviously, but we've done much better than that. We have Alison Rudd and Tony Cascarino in the studio, and as a special treat, speaking to us from the great Northeast, it's George Culkin. Now, it's a bit of an odd week because it's international week when some of us find it a bit of a bummer so we'll be talking about different and, and more interesting things possibly uh certainly more interesting in some of these games but of course we have to start at Wembley the home of football England and Malta Alison I'll start with you England win 2-0 I don't know how much there is to talk about the game itself uh other than the fact that England started a little slowly, then they scored two goals in the first half, then they didn't score in the second half. I think that about sums it up. Anybody have anything interesting they want to say about the game itself? Uh, no, I think, I well, no, think so. no, 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 no. Well, I think there was unanimity on Twitter, which there often isn't, that uh, Jordan Henderson played rather well. Okay, and because Jordan Henderson's from the Northeast, do you want to weigh in, George? Yeah, I thought he looked he looked good, but I mean, then how are you judging it? What are you judging it on? What's the quality of the opposition? It's so mm-hmm. difficult to look for themes in a game in a game like that where you're expected to win comfortably and sort of probably don't quite do that or don't quite do that well enough i'm not sure mm. what we what we draw from that that's of any use really i suppose you look for themes so that's why Rooney remains a sort of subject of debate. We'll, we'll get to him. Yeah, sure. I, I wanted to ask you, though, Cass, when we have these games like against Malta and, and Andorra and whatever else, I wanted to ask you, from your international career, did you ever play in games like that? Yeah, many. I'd say many. Well, because you played for the Republic of Ireland, yeah, so I guess most games were. Ah, <laughs> no, no, because we played you know, in the younger listeners. They were actually pretty good. They qualified for, for two World Cups. And a Euros. And 88, Euros. 1994. And back then, how many teams in the Euros in 1988, younger listeners? 1988 was just eight. Yeah. You knew that, right? We, you didn't notice that? that uh, no, I didn't know. I actually knew there were very few, but I didn't know it was as less as eight. It's a long time ago, Gab. And we didn't get out of our group phase, but it was very tough in then times to get out of your group phase. So Didn't you beat England? 1-0, Ray Houghton. Was that Bobby Robson's England that would go on to... Reached the semi-finals in 1990. Yeah, they were a good side as well. Oh, there yeah, you go. Uh, we had a good side. Wait, after this, this digression, but you must have... I mean, back then, obviously, yeah, the Soviet them. Union had splintered, but is it... When they go and they just put eight guys behind the ball, is it the kind of thing um, where... I mean, what stood out for me in the England game was that, quite clearly, they couldn't handle the heading threat. Now, I know Sturridge scored the goal with the header from a standing jump, 
But that was the one area of the field that I really thought they were very poor, that they couldn't hand, handle anything in the box. The difference is England really didn't have anyone that was great in the air. Deli Alley had a chance, didn't he? Where the keeper made a good save. Um, but aerially, they were I was thought, there for the taking. Game. But when you play games like that, I played against Macedonia when they'd broken up. Coaching has moved on to a much better level. The investment in these countries, as we saw with Iceland in the summer, that they are making it as difficult as they can. And it is hard playing against players who won't leave a position. That's the problem. How do you get them out of a, a midfielder doubling up with his fullback? How do you get that midfielder out of there if he's not prepared? He's prepared to go, tell you what, I'm going to sit here. And if you pass to your fullback and then pass inside, I ain't moving. So it's very hard to make things happen. You really need someone to go brave enough to go, well, I'm going to take the fullback on. Theo didn't do that at all, which I was surprised. He never got the chance to get a one-on-one with a fullback and go, do you know what? I'm just going to commit to try and go in past you. Because then you can stretch and open the game slightly, which was a big, probably the biggest disappointment from England as they ended up playing in front of uh, Malta and playing OK. Some good movement, good fast football in the first half. Second half, it was very, very poor. Because there's also an argument to be made. It's not like you get extra points for, for no. winning five or six nil. So. Well, goal difference will count. Do you know, it really surprises me, Gab. Yeah. Uh, um, Alison made a good point. Not in this group, it won't matter. Sorry, Alison. But it won't make any difference in this group. What is the biggest problem is that not many people bring up it is that is how do you get players to leave a position if they won't? How do you make them get come leave their area where they're defending? Wear a clown mask. Well, you can't get them to come out. You well, can't get a player to say, "I'm leaving my midfield area." To be fair, these are very unusual circumstances in the sense that in a in a league context, if you go a goal down and you just sit in your area to keep yeah. it close, then that's fine. Then you yeah. get you can see the three points. But yes, you have to make that that initial breakthrough. You, I was watching the post-match on, on Italian television and uh, they made the point like, well, this England team's more talented than ones in the past, but it feels less English. It's a little, you know, less direct, less mm. physical, less less hungry. I agree. And, and yeah, less bulldoggy. But you know what? I'd rather take the more talented England players you have today. Uh, George, uh, big call. I'm looking at the front page of the game and it says, time to drop Rooney. There's no question mark. After this, it just says time to drop Rooney. This is a, a it's, it's a piece from from Henry Winter. Again, I don't want to read the headline because Henry didn't write that headline. But it says yesterday's man Rooney shows it is time to pass on armband to stones. George, you're a big England fan. So I, I want to ask you, <laughs> want to ask you about this. Does it really make I mean, is the argument here? Should Rooney be dropped altogether from England or is the argument simply should he pass his armband to a young defender who was terrible for Everton last year, but this year is playing a lot better? Well, thank, thank you for saying the, the caring bit, because I was going to preface this by saying I really don't care. But, <laughs> I th- you know, in some ways I reject the premise of that, of the, of the argument, because for me, the, you know, the captain's armband thing is part of the problem where we invest so much in who the captain is and this sort of dramatic... Uh, sort of announcement about who it is now and what he's going to do and all that kind of stuff. And I was I was think, thinking about this this morning. I mean, maybe Cows can sort of can sort of help with this. I don't, rem- you know, Robbie Keane has just retired from from Ireland, and that's been a big deal. Of course, it has because he's the record goal scorer, just like Rooney is with with England. He was the captain, just like Rooney is with England, and he hasn't been playing as much 
recently. So that's you know that's that's a different thing. So John O'Shea has been captain, but then John O'Shea was dropped in the summer at the Euros, and mm. Seamus Coleman became captain, and now Seamus Coleman's captain. There's not been this sort of big announcement about who the captain of Ireland is, and I, personally, I think this is part of the problem that we have that when it can't. Could, becomes time to, to rest or drop or rotate or whatever you want to call it, a big player, that there's this sort of there's this sort of enormous thing that goes with it and it's I just think it's absolutely unnecessary. I understand the point of having captains, I understand the worth of having, you know, big characters and important characters behind personalities behind the scenes who can do things. But why do we go through this sort of torture this really sort of tortuous decision. Dropping players is difficult and emotive enough, but why do we have this huge investment in who the captain is and, and what it means? I don't think, personally, I, I didn't think Rooney should should have started at the Euros. I didn't think his form was good enough. But then, I don't think that that should be the end of his that should be the end of his career. Robbie Keane. Again, to go back to him as an example, was happy to be around the squad to help out, to be a, to be an impact substitute as his career winds down. It's not about rejecting these people as players or as 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 as, as people or, or or whatever. But um, it feels like everything becomes so heightened um, that it's, oh, it's it's ludicrous. But it, it does my head in. I don't think this is the norm with other countries, although perhaps I'm wrong on that. I I look at this, and I I would normally just think what most countries do when it works relatively well for them is they just choose a guy who will always start because he's a fixture on the national team and who is the most experienced out of those guys. (laughs) The problem is I look at this England lineup and I ask myself, other than Stones and Henderson, maybe, there really is nobody who's guaranteed a starting spot in 2018. But that's a good thing. No, no, it's not a bad thing, but but it, it's a good thing for the team. It's a bad thing in terms of dropping Rooney and giving the captaincy to somebody else. Because I, I take the point about Stones, but Stones is also very young. And the other thing about Stones is he plays in a way where, because he's comfortable on the ball and whatever else, he will occasionally make enormous howlers. And if that happens... You know the media, as we've seen in this country, yeah, can be pretty I, cruel, Gab, you're and you don't want to mess with on. this guy's head. Yeah, I agree with you, Gab, because I I was really surprised that Henry um, nominated Stones. I think it would be the worst thing that could happen to him, to be perfectly honest. I mean, he's a player that is is more part. There's Rooney, who's under in, enormous scrutiny to the point to the point where I, I agree with George. It's, it's so heightened, it's ridiculous. But then the player who's next most under scrutiny is, is Stones because we're trying to get to grips with whether he's he really is good enough to be this this sort of um, advanced thinking centre back who can can move forward and, and and sort of play neat passes rather than hoof it. And we're, under Guardiola, will he become this amazing amazing sort of figure? To, to cope with all that, sort of growing up in the public eye and being slightly maverick and a bit different, to then hand him the captaincy to give him an extra thing to think about when he's already having to think about other stuff because he's he, he sort of plays two roles at once. I think that's that's a flawed argument unless you want to make the case that by giving Stones the captaincy of England, you take away the burden of trying to be this amazing young um, intelligent centre back and and somehow he moves he sort of leapfrogs a normal stage of development because he's had faith shown in him i think that would be well i think that would be too, too big a leap of faith 
Henderson then? If no, we Dyer, if, I had to, if, I had to, if I had to, if I had to say now, or oh, who I want to be the next England captain, it would be Eric Dyer. I think he's probably an understated version of Stones in that he is an intelligent, defensive-minded player. He doesn't screw up that often. But, but why does it have to be anybody as opposed to just, you know... As yeah, a, as I, a, I, I, I agree, but, captain, but we're not going to make that happen him. overnight, are we? That See, we just change the captaincy when we feel like it, and it doesn't really matter. It does matter because you earn a lot of money by being England captain and you're the face of England. Yeah, but that's not, that's not a reason for, for yeah. Gareth Southgate or for England to do it. I mean, it's not... I mean, I understand it's important to the people who have it, but why, why is the England captaincy an institution? Why is it... Yeah. Why does it I'm not saying we should... Well, royalty is, well, but you don't, and you might disagree with that, but it doesn't change overnight. These things just sort of become ingrained. Point, it's going to take time to change it, Cass. Something on George touched on earlier that captaincy and how important it is. And I personally felt the best teams I played in, and certainly with Ireland, it was a lot of captains on that football field. Um, did we get inspired by any of the captains? Uh, Roy Keane was inspiring, but all Roy did was if he gave the ball away, rollicked you. Oh, he did more than that. Stop no, it. I, respect no, for Roy he, did, he did more than that with his performance because he inspired everybody and lifted them. But if you gave away the ball, he just worked. He, he and wasn't then he put his shoulder around you and gave you encouraging no, Roy, words. No, no, Roy wasn't made like that. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. And um, I always felt we had loads of them. We had Ray yeah. Houghton, who you know well, would talk endlessly. Yeah. He would just talk and talk and talk and talk. But we'd have a Mick McCarthy, we'd have a Kevin Moran, we'd have an Andy Townsend, we'd have a Mike Yeah, we'd have loads of yeah. characters that could be captains of a team. Packy it Bonner. wasn't that important. No, but I think that was also a veteran side, and that was that was a different situation. Here, you've got a younger side, and you also you've got the other thing. I think with with Ireland, you didn't have a but big pool of players. Look at all the players. England captains, Gab. Look at them. Look at every one of them. As soon as they become captain, they become the talk, most talked about person to be dropped. And it was always Gerard. When he came, became captain, he cer- certainly became a problem for he shouldn't be in the team. You had Frankie Lampard who took it for a, a short space of time. Then maybe, he was. Maybe you should do go like all Davis Cup and have non-playing captains. Maybe Wayne Rooney can still be the England captain, and he, you know, he's I, I don't think it's the biggest deal of making no, a team. No, a but good this is, side this, is the big, this, this is our this is our story. Yeah. This is what people are, are talking about. I, I want to just move on from that. I, George, you you covered England for some years. A question. With England, you don't call him manager, you call him coach, right? No, manager. It is manager. All right, so the England manager is Gareth Southgate. All right, my own personal view on this is I don't believe in having foreign coaches if you are a big footballing nation. Uh, I think England are a big footballing nation because of their history, because y'all invented the game, because you have a lot of people play football, because you have a really, really good league. If it so happens that this generation of English managers or who are available aren't particularly good, then so be it. That's a reflection of who you are. I don't think you should go and hire an Ericsson or a Capello. That's my own personal view. Obviously, y'all can do what you like. That being the case, I would argue that you should just keep Gareth Southgate through the next cycle unless he starts going insane or or, or, or does serious damage. Anybody disagree with that? Not really, no. Okay, I mean, so it's his just... to lose, isn't it? I mean, you don't. You, England are going to qualify. They're going to qualify from this group. And if they don't, that would be absolutely abysmal. Right. And then, and then if they you'd don't, have you to fire look him elsewhere. and then you bring in Steve Bruce. And then after that, you're kind of running out oh, you of ideas. You promote Sammy Lee. Or Sammy Lee, there you go. So why has Sammy Lee never coached? Well, he has. He has. No, he coached has. England. He's managed Bolton. Bolton. Yes, I know. Yeah, then that with, with uh, what's his name? With Frank McPartman. They didn't go very well, as I recall. They didn't go well. Can I ask just another question? <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't they appoint him in the first place instead of the other guy? He said he didn't want it. Why? Well, then he changed his mind. 
I you have some insight in this, don't you, George? I, I don't think he wanted to be sort of caretaker while they looked. I think there was that. I, I mean, and I also think that he didn't. Yeah, I don't think he thought he was he was ready for that. Hmm. I, I don't think they felt he was ready either, George, and, did and they? I think, I think the circumstances have kind of changed sufficiently yeah. now that Gareth agrees completely with your, your assessment, Gab, as well, about, you know, it, I, I, there is no point to international football, surely, if you're not representing your own country in some in some way, and um, I think he, you know, he, he for a man who comes kind of comes across as very mild mannered as he does, he is incredibly passionate about England and and always has been. And uh, you know, fair play to him for, for stepping forward. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not the sort of character who is going to be bullish and sort of set unrealistic targets. When he was at Middlesbrough, although that didn't end kind of very well he did have a he did have and it was an incredibly t- sort of tough tough brief getting getting the average age of the squad down and wages down very high wage bill down he did have a vision of the, of the kind of football he wanted to play and it was uh, attacking football good football sort of with an arsenal like model you know i think he's done enough with the under 21s in terms of time there being within the system to to have a go and for his sake I hope it I hope it works out because he's a he's a good he's a good fella and um, although that's not you know that's not a kind of qualification for the job um, it's it's not a bad quality to have so mm. um, oh, I had a whole segment about booing Rooney which I was going to want to talk about actually Cass yes let's ask you about this because you wrote about it it's funny because Cass treats three talking points, right? One of them we've already covered because if you play against guys who just sit in their box, you need to be direct. Yeah. One of them is, sorry, Wayne lacking the nows to play midfield. I Nobody disagrees with you. I think it's kind of been done to death. Mm. The first one, booing is just noise. Other players suffer far worse. You want to elaborate on that? Well, I just spoke of um, my experience of booing and, and how I dealt with it. And when I was playing in France, uh, I was talking to a coach and he just said to me, it's just a noise one day. And I sort of realised, yeah, I sort of get what you mean. And especially at Marseille, I, if you were playing badly, booing was the... Yeah, the, they wait you know, for you lovely. in the car park. Yeah, they, they would do. And I saw that happen to Mark Libera, if you remember who played for Norwich and Hibernian. Um, and I've seen it in other aspects of the uh, training ground. So Rooney should... Be thankful. I just don't think it's supporters that, in I th- England. I don't, I, don't think it's, you don't think you don't think Rooney's bothered. I think it's not nice. I think it's not great for yeah. your family and your friends all in the stadium and people are you know having to hear your son or husband or fathers being criticised. That's not nice. I don't I'm not condoning it. I just I don't think it's the end of the world. Right. Are we done with England? Yeah. Can we move yeah. on. Deep right. sigh. Another move month. on. Right. Moving on. Um, there's a there's a series that's been running all week. Uh, tomorrow is the last installment where I believe Alison, you're writing about. Heading tomorrow. Yeah, if I'm right. it's like no, 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 away no, the no. end of a book, well, isn't it? Or you know, the end of a film. Basically, we, we, we tried to uh, uh, deconstruct the perfect England footballer. We, we had a category for right foot, left foot, uh, dribbling, vision, stroke, intelligence, athleticism, which is today's installment. And then tomorrow we have heading. People nominated different guys. Some of the nominations were a little curious, especially in the left foot category where... Well, I'll tell you who won first. Steven Gerrard won best right foot. You may disagree with it. I don't think it's surprising that he won, given that it's a popular vote. Best left foot was won by John Barnes. Here, I might suggest that it had to do with two of the guys who could have won it, Tom Finney and Jimmy Greaves, were a long, long, long time ago. Somebody nominated Stuart Pierce, which I guess must have been a gag. Oh, no, that was you, Cass. Well, you... 
best left foot, meaning he hits the ball really hard? No, I thought he had a fantastic left foot. How do you compare somebody like Stuart? I mean, uh, uh, well, you compare Stuart Pierce, <laughs> Pierce's left foot, with the eventual winners, John Barnes. Oh. So who's to get booed for England? Yes, from what I recall of John Barnes, he could make the ball do different things. Yeah. He could hit it hard and accurate. He could make the ball bend and twist. And Pierce, because there's there's one one I'm nomination the- there, which in my humble opinion is a little bit more left field than Stuart Pierce. That's Ashley Cole, which I find shocking. Surprising. There's also a guy I've never heard of named Rick Holden, but that's but that's Oldham. Oldham. What's his name? Rick Holden. Okay. No, he played for Oldham. No, Holden at Oldham. Okay, <laughs> that's all the K's nomination, and obviously, uh, I I think it's good that we have some left field ones. But well, how do you compare what Pierce did with his left foot with what John Barnes did? Well, I I played against Stewart. And you played um, against John a, Barnes too. No, yeah, presumably. but I played against Stewart, and I played as a winger. Okay, for Millwall, so now, against... You're, you're built like a winger, sure. so it makes no. a lot of sense. We, we Can you imagine of... what English football was like no, no, in the listen, late 80s? Listen, like, oh, look, <laughs> let's get Cascarino to, stay, to, stay, to play on the wing. That makes sense. Well, we played at Forest for Millwall, and I played against Stuart. Uh, our manager wanted a physical presence on Stuart. So he said to me, stand on him and just play against him. And I never realised until I played against Stuart how good his left foot was. A bit one foot. And I don't... Yeah, he was very one foot, but we weren't talking about right, right foots. We were talking about left foots. I was so shocked at how clever he was with his left foot as well. He didn't... It wasn't all about thunderbolts. It wasn't all about hitting a sh- uh, shot from 30 yards, which he could quite clearly do. It was the fact that he was very good over 5 and 10 yards with his left foot as well. Which what, I, dribbling? I, I was shocked how... No, just clever little foot passes. He'd right. find little... Little five ten yard passes very easily, and I was surprised how good his left foot was. I I can remember saying to someone after the game saying, "His left foot is like a wand. So he do what he like with it. He'll ping it. He'll play a short pass. He'll 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 literally go from one angle to another and a direct ball if he needed to." So I was well, I was it, taken back by his left. It's foot. It's interesting because I only ever watched Stuart Pierce on television, yeah. and I did some radio shows with him. I, I never thought of him that way, but the, I mean, I think this is part of what makes this exercise kind of interesting: is you, you discover stuff like this from people mm. who have first-hand knowledge. I, I think people who've played against Stuart Pearce would nominate Stuart Pearce ahead of John Barnes. Not not necessarily, but I think, <laughs> I think more people, yeah, right. more people than you think would come away from having played against. Because I've spoken to people who've played against him, and they're all high, highly rating. And you guys can, you know, you can go and just choose all the familiar names. One of the neat things is we have some. Names that aren't as obvious in the dribbling category is one by Stanley Matthews, which is yeah. obvious again, although I think probably, I'm assuming none of us saw him play. No. What's interesting, we had some interesting nominations. We had you know, Michael Owen, which right, I'm not having, but um, mm. Henry Winter choosing Ravel Morrison. Yes. George, do you want to explain that one? No. <laughs> yeah. But then, I mean, it's that's, that's the sort of, you, mm. you said that, that's the fascination of doing something like this. I mean, I used it as, a, as an excuse to sort of think back to the people that I've seen live and seen a lot of them. So that all the people I chose were, were kind of people who played for North East teams and so in a fairly limited limited time frame. And it, they, were, they, were the, they were the people that made me fall in love with football and you feel kind of very lucky to watch and so people like Gascoigne and Beasley and Shearer and well, and Waddle that so I mean it, there were no kind of limitations in terms of choices it was about it wasn't about trying to say who was the best player or who was the best header it was about making up the comp you know there, there, there was no it was about that sorry but it, it wasn't about are we trying to think of the best people of all time it would have been easy to nominate Stanley Matthews in that sense but Having never seen him play, having never seen clips of him play, really, 
how how on earth do you measure that against your own experience? So yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed it because it was, I used that as an excuse to, to personalize it, I suppose. Another category was the uh, vision stroke intelligence. It's funny because I'm not so sure about putting those two together because I think there are some people who've got tremendous vision and they can see passes, but who are just not very clever footballers. But again, the, one of the nice things is you can define this any way you like. Nominees here include Paul Gascoigne, Bobby Moore, Matt Letizier, Glenn Hoddle, Beckham, Teddy Sheringham, your old mate. Did, did you nominate him? I nominated Glenn. Okay, that, that took a lot of imagination, hard work. Uh, Alison, <laughs> nobody's going to have an argument with Paul Scholes winning this, are they? Yeah, because Letizier should have won it, hands down. For lots of reasons, one of them being the parallel universe reason, which is the the team should have been built right. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And if it had, what would have happened? He's the only player I've taken as an individual player. And I used to watch his um, compilation videos when I was breastfeeding. That was what I did. <laughs> did, it, did, did that then have an effect on the footballing ability of your sons? Yeah, they're both brilliant footballers. It just goes to show. I should write a parenting book, shouldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> how to guarantee that your children are excellent footballers. I wonder, I wonder how Mark Letizia feels about that. He knows about that. Oh, yeah, that? yeah, yeah. I went, yes. I went on a, a Channel 4 sports show and they, they phoned me up and said, could I come on? And I said, no, no, I've got, I've got the weekend off. I can't start interrupting the weekend to do stuff. Once I've said I've got the weekend off. And then the producer said, well, we've got, we've got Matt Letizia on. I said, I'll be there. I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and then I got there and then I just gushed all over him. Okay. Uh, well, I wasn't breastfeeding at the time. I didn't gush, gush milk all over him. I just gushed <laughs> over him. In the piece. And he Lacta- knew. He knew. Talk he knew, of he makes men uncomfortable, he knows, he knows. So the question is, if Matt Letizia and Stevie Highway were on a boat and it was sinking, <laughs> and you could only save one of them... Ah, dear. Well, for England, I'd have to save Letiz because he's English. For my personal history, I'd probably have to save Stevie Highway. There you go. Um, another category is athleticism. 
interesting nominees here. One of them, Gary Mabbitt, who I'm assuming you've you played yeah, against, against once Gary, or twice. Yeah. Brian Robson, I think obviously obvious choice. Stephen Gerrard, Paul Ince. But is he the obvious choice? You see, he's Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah. But I, if they'd been the category of heart or endeavor or attitude, he'd have been first name on the list for me. But that's how I saw him. I saw him in terms of. Yeah, he, what what he gave it is, is is sort of heart and soul as opposed he, he to was, just being I mean, athletic. I, I, I nominated him as well. I didn't get in because I presume it was the same as 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 Matt who who kind of wrote the big piece. But I mean, he was but he was sort of the first, you know he was kind of ultimate box to box. You know, he, I was a kid, obviously, but I remember watching him play for some really bad England teams. Well, what looked to me like mm-hmm. hey, again with hindsight, they weren't that bad. And some really awful United teams, and again, with hindsight, they probably weren't that bad. And I remember him just doing everything. Yeah, you know, it, it looked like he was like it looked like there the, 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 the were two of them, and and he looked like some kind of superhuman being, and and he was really gifted too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why Man United paid a big fee for him at the time to take him from West Brom because he did exactly the same with the West Brom team. He drove that team forward. There's two old school choices in here. One is Mabbitt, and I, sorry, I know you're aging yourself. The other one's Colin Bell. I'm hoping that you can discuss Mabbitt. Why did you nominate Mabbitt? To be a bit maverick, I suppose, but because it's called athleticism and to play with type 1 diabetes and be that athletic seemed worthy of a nomination. Bell? Well, I'm talking about when I was a kid watching him play for Man City and just an incredible tough player as well. Could mix it. You know, we're talking about running ability. He could mix it with all the, the best players of that time in football. Good on the ball, plus a runner. You know, he, he was one of them very few great box-to-box players. Tuesday's instalment is heading ability. Alison, you wrote the, the main piece there. Uh, we don't know who the nominees are because we're it's taping exciting, this on Monday. It? it is kind of exciting. What did you look for? What do I look for? I, I w- went George with this one and I went for, because heading is not the most glamorous thing, is it? So I went for the only time I've gone to a match and I thought, oh my God, I haven't seen anyone head the ball like that. This is amazing. And then gone on. I went on and on about it for days afterwards that it was the best header of the ball I'd ever seen, purely on a subjective being there live and seeing how he hung in the air. You can probably guess who it is. So yeah, it was just it was just the only time someone heading the ball has actually had an emotional impact on so me. So who was this? Should I, I don't know whether I'm allowed to give it away. I don't know what the rules are. You are allowed to give it away. Who says? Me. The producer, producer the producer Dave. Dave. Okay, I'm going to nominate. Oh, I feel terrible, like giving away, you know. Okay, drum roll, Les Ferdinand. Les Ferdinand. Yeah. Cass, you probably know more about heading than the rest of us. Mm. Who you. would you who would you have nominated? Well, no, no say what, what you think about Les. Don't you think that was a good shout? Yeah, Le- Les had an incredible hanging ability. Yeah. So does Andy he Carroll. Could, he could spend time in the air and, so can Andy and get Carroll. power behind the ball. So can Andy Carroll. Yeah, but I've seen them no. both in the flesh, and Andy, he hung for hours. Andy wasn't as good a director of the header, where he could pick his spot. Uh, that's an art in itself, right. where players can literally put I, it to just, just angling your head. And, and, well, and getting the timing right. Yeah, it's a, you've got to get all three. You've and knowing the, when to glance and knowing you know, when to... And there's also the ability yeah. to jump above somebody and jump across somebody, which why I would have gone for Alan Shearer, because I think Alan was the best at going behind people and winning headers to score goals and coming across defenders. He was brilliant at getting that last-minute glancing header or diving header to get across that defence. I think that's an art in itself. Yeah, I, I wanted to say that I actually nominated Ferdinand as well, although I agree, I agree with both of these those nominations because Shearer, Shearer, for me, was extraordinary because he made as many defensive clearances with his head I mean, it, yeah. as he did as he did at the other end of the pitch. He was probably one of the best defenders I've seen in those senses. 
Um, but Ferdinand, who um, is under six foot, I think, um, had that extraordinary spring and then that extraordinary hang. And I, I completely agree with Alison. He actually made heading look beautiful, graceful. Uh, it was a sort of prodigious jump. And then that sort of that sort of feeling that he was hanging in the air, that he was almost flying, it became a very, it was a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah, I don't think you would say that very often about about headers of the ball. You can go and vote. Uh, by the time most of you listen to this, you can vote in that heading one. And then I'm assuming we'll have some, some fine writing and we'll put all these together in some sort of Frankenstein monster of ultimate footballer. That's exactly what's going to happen, yeah. Managerial change in the Premier League. Wow, surprise, surprise. Francesco Guidolin uh, let go by Swansea. In fact, while we were taping the, the podcast last week and on his birthday, uh, no less, Bob Bradley uh, has taken over. He's a former U.S. men's national team coach. By now, you I presume everybody's heard the story about how he managed the U.S. national team, then he couldn't get a job in Europe, so he went to manage Egypt. They all loved him, although then he lost the World Cup playoff 6-1. Uh, but they still loved him because he was a good guy. And then he went to Norway, took over a crappy team, uh, took them to third place. Uh, and then last year was at Le Havre. One thing off the top, and I'm going to go to you because you went to Swansea for Bob's first press conference. Swansea had some sort of recruitment manager search, presumably, to replace Widolin, which they did while he was still employed, but that's a whole other issue. Because they didn't want to spend money on a caretaker manager, even though they have a guy there and Alan Curtis who's done it before. But um, they figured this is a classier way to go. How does how do you have a recruitment search which then yields three candidates? One of them is 51 years old and is Spanish and has never managed or worked outside of Spain, but did a great job at Villarreal last year before walking out on them at the start of the season this year. And that would be Marcelino. One of them is Welsh and one of the greatest footballers Wales has ever produced and a Manchester United legend, but was an assistant to a manager who isn't generally perceived to be that good in or to have done that well in Louis van Gaal and only has four games of Premier League experience, and that would be Ryan Giggs, or four games managing experience at any level, I should say. And the third is Bob Bradley, who has a totally unusual CV, never played professionally, I guess Le Havre in the French second division is the biggest team, the biggest club side he's ever coached. How does one search yield three radically different people like that? Did you ask them that? They weren't there for questioning. Oh, they, were, they, were, they weren't hiding behind the They might have been hiding, but they weren't there for questioning. And there wouldn't have been time to question them because it was the longest unveiling I've been at because Bob Bradley spoke at length in great detail about all the things you just described about his career. I assume those three candidates put themselves forward. And and nobody else did. Uh, no, of course, of course, other people did, but they put themselves forward, and they were probably the the three they spoke to the most or asked to pop along, and the three names they were prepared to release. Okay. This is just thing that kind what, of struck me as kind what, of all what, kind of asked backwards about this. But what struck me was why did, however way it was leaked, did the comment about being underwhelmed by Giggs's interview? Ooh, maybe I can explain that, and I'm purely speculating here. Let's say, hypothetically, you're Swansea. You know, you interview a national Welsh legend. And let's say maybe you're the only one of the people in the interview who's actually Welsh. And hypothetically, of course, let's say you need to kind of justify why you ended up picking Bob, who, of course, I don't think I've said this yet, is American. And that is a whole other issue. Why you picked him instead of, instead of Ryan Giggs. 
who, who wants the job and is Welsh and lives just up the road and has played 8 million times in the Premier League. Uh, because there's a certain part of your audience, including a lot of your your buddies uh, on Five Live, who say like, well, how could you possibly not give it to Giggsy? Or if it's not Giggsy, it has to be Steve Bruce because they know the Premier League. And so you justify it by saying you were underwhelmed. Certainly, that was reported in the local Welsh papers. And normally, that's a pretty steer, that pretty good steer that that comes from the from the club. Am I being fair, George? Sorry, being fair in what sense? Is this a uh, is this why that got out in the press that they were underwhelmed by Ryan Giggs's interview? I, without knowing that, I, you know, for for a fact, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to say. I mean, but I think the the point you make about the response to it has been pretty infantile. I think I think there was an argument to make that Giggs could have been a bold choice. That because he's known and respected in the dressing room, he could, you know, that, that there would have been effect on the players. That 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 there could have been a lift for the supporter base. But I don't think it was the argument was presented in that sense. It was presented in the sense of he knows the Premier League inside out. He knows the you know he knows the division and stuff like that. Well, as if that's any any guarantee of, of anything. I mean, not that there is a guarantee, not that there is a guarantee of anything, but if you look at Swansea's track record, a club which sort of does have a philosophy which has sort of endured beyond one, the changeover of one, two, three, four managers, you would have to sort of, I think you have to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and presume that they know what they're doing because they have had success following their model. The Americans are new. Yeah. They're, they're changing no, the yeah. they're changing the the format now, aren't they? And of course, I don't think it's I don't think it's that surprising that it, they considered Ryan Giggs uh, an underwhelming interviewee. Because if you put Ryan Giggs, if you can imagine what Ryan Giggs would have been like in the interview compared to what Bob Bradley would have been like in the interview, uh, Bob Bradley would have been speaking their language and mm. saying the sort of things they wanted to hear. Whereas Ryan Giggs, you know, he's 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 not he doesn't beat his chest he, and he, he can't come out with the managerial anecdotes that um, Bob Bradley can even if all those anecdotes come from relatively odd or low level managing Ryan Giggs hasn't got that hands on experience of taking responsibility for Whoa, 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 whoa. But I, sorry flip side is Ryan Giggs can go and talk about you know, well, when I was in the situation, I learned from Fergie because Sir Alex Ferguson said this and that. Whereas Bob Bradley's going to come up with some well, Bob, anecdote no, actually, of Landon Donovan. No, or, you know, no, with all no, due no. Bob Bradley had it all sorted. He was full of anecdotes about having lunch with Johan Cruyff and uh, Stoichkov being his best buddy and hanging out with the greats of the game. The, the bottom line is that this whole idea is, is 2016. There's a lot of reasons to, to treat Bob Bradley's appointment as as a real risk and that's simply because i find it extremely difficult to assess what he has achieved in his career managing a national team is completely different managing the u.s managing egypt what he achieved results wise was kind of par for the course the circumstances were what they were but you know the guys who came before him and after him pretty much got as far as he did Staubach, he obviously made them a lot better the harve you know, probably should have been promoted last year. Came very close. Fact of the matter is, the last two jobs he's had, he had an American owner because the guy who owns the Harvard is also American. I, and I want to ask you, Allison, the worst thing Bob can do is to harp on about this American thing. And the sooner it goes away, the sooner Bob Bradley gets judged on his merits as a coach, as opposed to an American coach, the better it is. Would you agree with that? Of course, who wouldn't? I mean, I, I feel slightly guilty now because when he... <laughs> When he walked into the room for the written press, he sat next to me. So I took that as a cue to sort of Wait, so he sat in over. the audience? No, we, we went into a separate room just for the written press. Okay. And he came, we were on a big table and he sat next to me. 
and I said, uh, I think I was channeling my inner Mrs. Merton, but he, I said, so, <laughs> hello, Bob, how are you? How are you finding Wales? I said, hello, Bob. So, so tell me, when did you stop calling it soccer and start calling it football? You did football? not say that. I did. I did. And did he fire back and say, like, why don't you go and ask that question to uh, Sky, who have Soccer Sunday? And they actually bankrolled this whole freaking sport that we call the Premier League. And then I asked him, did he understand that a draw can be a good thing? I was, I was, I wanted that. I was leading up to, I was leading up to. I said, the reason I'm asking you these questions is there is snobbery about you being American. He said, I know there will be snobbery and I have to deal with that. And I know there'll be mistrust that the Americans own the club. And I know this. I don't think there's anything wrong with him saying that. He said, I acknowledge the prejudice. I acknowledge the suspicion. I acknowledge there's a conspiracy theory. And I think my record speaks for itself and I can do the job. I want to leave you with one final thought here. Um, I'm assuming none of you have ever heard of a man named David Blatt. This guy, David Blatt, is a man who uh, actually went to Princeton, like, uh, like Bob Bradley, unfortunately. He, he played basketball and then he left and he went to Israel. And he managed, uh, he coached his basketball teams all over Europe. He coached in Turkey and Italy and Spain and Israel. was very successful. And uh, I believe season before last, the, uh, a basketball team called the Cleveland Cavaliers hired him. Now, Black slightly different because he is American, but he had never worked or played in the U.S. And I'm just pointing this out to show how the snobbery exists both ways. People were like, the hell are we going to learn from this doofus who only ever worked in Europe? What can he possibly do in the NBA? Surely he's going to stink. Well, in fact, this guy took Cleveland to the NBA finals for the first time in, I think, eight years, something like that. The fact that LeBron James came back to Cleveland also helped, but still... He got them to the freaking finals, and he was fired in year two, but he had a really good record when he was, when he was fired. So just, just pointing this out to say that the snobbery works both ways, and people on you know, the other side of the pond shouldn't get too sanctimonious about, the, about it because it works. You know, it, it goes in both directions, I think. All right, enough of that. How about some quick hits instead? Wales draw 1-1 with Georgia. And uh, Alison, you can talk about the game. Uh, you can talk about Gareth Bale losing a man bun. Or you can talk about something I thought was really funny. Have you guys seen those those odd Welsh team photos, which are almost as disturbing as those evil clown sightings, which have been taking the country by storm? Do you know what I'm talking I about? I do know what you're talking about. Wales group photo before kickoff uh, have become increasingly odd because they'll have like three people stood and then a straggle of people kneeling. So it looks like it just looks a mess. It, it seems purpose. to be. It seems to be progressive, though, because it's it, got progressively it, worse. Yeah, it was. It was like six uglier. and five, and then like four and seven, and three and eight. No, let's talk about Gareth Bale instead. Just a very important point. If I was manager of a team, and I have been, but if I was manager of a Premier League team or an international team, I would say you don't play for me unless if you've got long hair, you tie it back, and at least whatever he looks like, at least, at least Gareth Bale ties his hair back. I met Carlos Puol for the first time last week, and. How he was allowed to play with his hair all over his eyes, I don't know. Ridiculous. Another excellent feature from you, George, uh, in the game. You went and met a guy named Phil Giles who works for a football club called Brentford, uh, which I believe is in the championship. But he's actually Newcastle born and bred. What's the deal there? So he is a co-director of football at Brentford who are interesting because they are doing things around mathematics and stats and analytics. He doesn't have a background in the game at all. He was a season ticket holder at Newcastle for 25 years, only gave it up 
when he became Brentford's director of football, which was last year, and Brentford travelled to St James's Park on Saturday. There's a great picture of this guy when he was like eight years old yeah, in a new cast. It was yeah, so cute, yeah. wasn't it? And Sweet. his Newcastle kit. Matthew Syed wrote this week about joy in football and how things like cash and recognition ultimately take away from it. He describes strolling through Richmond Park as you do and seeing children play. Um, anyway, on a more serious note, Cass, at what point, if ever, wh- when do you make the transition a- as a player that you're playing for money and this is your actual profession? Oh rather than just fun. Is it is it in the youth team? Is it when you turn... Well, I can, I can remember joining Gillingham and I come off the building site and I played and I couldn't believe how unhappy all the apprentices were. I was To me, I was given a job. I'm training. I'd come off the building site. I was now training from, what, 10.30 to 1 and my job's done for the day and I'm enjoying it. I've just loved it. I think it changed really when you get a family. And then also, even more so, you probably recognise that what you're going to do after football you play for Gillingham, you're not going to be wealthy enough to have a career that, you know, it's going to make you enough money not to worry. So I think it's sort of the trans- transition period of 25 plus. I, I, I loved it again in my 30s, by the way. I got to love it again because right. it was like a, a last chance saloon that I jumped at. But um, I'd probably say mid-20s. Manchester City are currently strongly linked with moves for brand new fullbacks as early as January, with Arsenal's Hector Bellerin and Valencia's Jose Gaia among the most frequently mentioned names. Alison, um, cannot but notice they spent a lot of money in the summer. They have a lot of money. Why didn't they just get new fullbacks in the summer? And I don't mean this in, in any sort of disparaging way towards Bakari Sanyang, Gael Clichy, and Alexander Kolarov and Zabaleta, but they don't really seem to be Pep-type fullbacks. No. Well, well, first of all, I don't think it would have been a wise move to come in and make wholesale changes without playing a, a competitive fixture. I I can see why he, he you wouldn't come in and make too many purchases. That makes sense to me. But I don't know, Pep, I've been to one live, well, two live press conferences. The one after the Swansea game, he was asked about the way teams were getting at City down the flanks. He seemed to say, look, I've done my best. What can I do? Steve Bruce, inevitably, is being linked to the Aston Villa job. See, look, we're making a rare foray into the championship. George, you got to see him up close for a long time. I watched him yesterday on Goals on Sunday with his uh, with his son, Alex. I think I think his hair is now green or greenish. Um, that is remarkable stuff. Does it make any sense that he'd take a job in the championship rather than sitting around and especially a team that's doing so badly rather than just sitting around and waiting for somebody to uh something to open up in the premier league well it certainly does in the sense that he's you know he's won two promotions to the premier league at birmingham the same at hull he has a track record and uh sort of at that level and also you know aston villa by most you know aston villa are a big club uh he wants to get back so i think it makes it makes sense in those circumstances yeah FIFA president Gian Infantino has proposed a 48-team World Cup, which isn't actually a 48-team World Cup. It just means that 16 teams qualify directly for the group stage and the other 32 play off in one brutal one-game playoff, essentially. People instantly don't seem to like it, probably because it was proposed by FIFA, but are you okay with this? I was okay with the Euros being expanded. I thought they... But they this is a totally different worth. type of strategy. Well, it's one game and you go home. 
Well, the one game, but there's, you know, we, the, the minnows in world football, we, we don't like to give a chance to, or the lesser nations, are proving their worth, I think, on a regular basis at the moment. And I think even in a one-off scenario, yeah, give them a chance, give the country the excitement. That's what FIFA, I always be. I think they're obliged for countries to improve coaching and whatever way they can to make them better levels. And I think they're showing that they're absolutely achieving the goals of what some of these nations were demanding. Gab, I have a question for you. It's been an absolutely superb international break for Spain and Italy, or has it? Ooh, no, it wasn't. Um, they both ended up with four points. They, they, they played each other. Um, I think it was actually not so good for different reasons. Um, Spain absolutely dominated Italy. Italy were horrendous, possibly the, the, the worst game against a, a, a big country that I remember maybe since 2014, uh, and yet 70 minutes in, Spain can't freaking score. They, they have the ball, they pass it around forever. Diego Costa puts himself about, but it took a goalkeeping error from uh, from Italy uh, for Spain to take the lead. And then the last 20 minutes, Italy kind of furiously attacked, got a penalty and equalized. After that, Spain went and played Albania, and it was kind of the same thing. They couldn't break Albania down, and the goalkeeper made an almighty rick in the second half, and then Spain go on to win 2-0. They need to find... Julian Lopetegui needs to find that that cutting edge. As for Italy, like I said, they were horrible, horrible against Spain. In some ways, they were even worse against Macedonia. They took they, they went with a younger, more attacking lineup. They took the lead 1-0, had no idea how to handle the lead, uh, gave the ball away, could have conceded 3-4, uh, went 2-1 down instead. And then at the end, sort of this furious comeback, and then they score an injury time to win 3-2. Uh, I think there's plenty to work on for both teams. Obviously, Spain are a much better side, much, much more talent. But that doesn't necessarily make it that much easier. But a fascinating, I think, World Cup group. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many, many thanks to my very excellent guests today. The excellent Alison Rudd, the excellent Tony Cascarino, and the extremely excellent George Calkin. Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. You can search The Times online, uh, and you can subscribe. And you get excellent writing virtually every day. In fact, every day. Please rate and review on iTunes and press that subscribe button uh, wherever you choose to download your podcast. You know, there's plenty of options out there. Uh, We're going to be back next week. Till next time. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.